Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. And I'd also like to welcome the thousands and thousands of cultomaniacs, Bruce, who regularly mm-hmm. tune into this. You know, they, they come for the they come for the high grade video quality standards, the production standards, you know, that are mm-hmm. what is that in your hand? Second to none. This is, uh, <laughs> you pull it back Oilers, pull it back Edmonton, a bit. It's pull it back, pull Oilers it back, pull it back. Christmas wreath. It's 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 very psychedelic right now. It's kind of Okay. So they yeah they come from moments like this, Bruce, and uh, they stay. There you go. Just see. <laughs> to pull back further than my headphones. That was good. Yeah. Now you're all. I, I now you're that. all discombobulated. We are lucky, Bruce, to talk to uh, I think the smartest hockey fans on earth on a regular basis. So uh, here we go. Big win for the Oilers tonight, Bruce. That was oh, such huge, a big... Huge. And you know what? We've had probably like, what, would you say five wins like this this year that have separate the Oilers from the decade of darkness? Five wins where the Oilers have made had come up with kind of statement wins, games that they would have probably lost in the past for one way, one way or another, usually bumbling it away due to their ineptitude at pretty much all facets of the game but <laughs> if we're completely honest but this time around that was just such a fantastic win 3-2 win over the Vancouver Canucks uh highlighted by an utterly uh shut down third period by the Edmonton Oilers just yeah. a great victory let's get to our two good things two bad things and two numbers and because it's a win we 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 actually stretch it out to four good things two good things each so it's okay. a special occasion it's only going to happen about 50 times this year, Bruce. Well, let's hope so, yeah. Or maybe I mean, 60. <laughs> it, needed to hap- it needed to happen this week, and I waited till Sunday for it to happen. And for Ooh. that reason, after losing two straight in regulation and having to, uh, uh, you know, deal with some tough breaks. I mean, they were a short-staffed team. There was only 19 men that flew on the airplane from Edmonton to Vancouver last night. And those are the 19 guys who played in the game. The backup goalie flew in from California. They had no extra guys in the press box. And whilst it was always obvious that they would probably bring in the guys that didn't play last night after losing two in a row with the same lineup, uh, they didn't really have a choice on who they pulled out because of, you know, the circumstances took care of that with uh, Zach Cassian getting a back tweak and, and uh, uh, Chris Russell uh, getting called home to uh, be on the scene for the birth of his child. So, I mean, that's actually a good thing. And, and But what it meant was that there was a place for Matt Benning to, to get into the lineup without the Oilers needing to bench anyone. Like I thought last night they might, uh, uh, they might put Benning in for Caleb Jones. Instead, we had Benning playing with Caleb Jones, at least for part of the game. They were pretty good, too. And congratulations to Chris Russell. Well, all right. I hope it all came out all right. Yeah, we don't know, do we? I haven't yeah. heard. I thought I didn't know. Yeah. All right, let's hope about that. Okay, um, Bruce, what is your first good thing? Okay, well, a massive team effort, really, but I'm going to single out or quadruple out the top four defensemen who played a monster game for the Oilers, and especially in the third period when they were the only four guys that ever saw the ice after Matt Benning left the game with 
yet another head trauma. Uh, uh, they parked Caleb Jones on the end of the bench for the entire rest of the game. And in the third period, Adam Larson played 9-19, and he looked like Adam Larson from three years ago. That's the best I've seen him play in a long time. Bruce and he, exactly. won, he won a ton of battles in front of his net and behind his net. That's exactly what I said in the game grades about Adam Larson. He looked yeah. like 2017 Adam Larson, and we haven't seen that, certainly not this year, and not for large year. stretches of last year. So, And he started mm-hmm. the game with the usual slow feet that, that have plagued him, I think, but... He just got more and more confident as the game went on. So great to see. Yeah, yeah he won a ton of battles. Same third period. Uh, uh, his partner uh, Oscar Kleppbaum played nine twenty four, and the other pairing, uh, Ethan Bear played nine fifty five, and Darnell Nurse a whopping ten thirty six in the third period. And I thought all four of them were excellent, weren't they? Just- Winning races to pucks, getting pucks, making safe passes. Uh, when someone was on them, checking them, they weren't like forcing bad passes. They weren't making mistakes. They were keeping the play to the outside. And they uh, got the puck out of the zone time and time again. Man, how many times did the orders flip the puck out of the defensive zone in the third Wasn't period? that a nice like play? 30, 30 feet high. I bet you a dozen to 15 times in the period. And, and when that works, Ariel. Was- oh. When that works is when you actually have forwards who are willing to work on the forecheck, right? Mm-hmm. If you do that and the forwards are kind of coasting out or whatever or dragging their butt off because you've been cycled to death, right? right? It doesn't work when you've been cycled to death and everyone's dead tired, but it works right. as a strategy when everyone's fresh It's kind of, and it is your strategy. Get the puck out, forecheck them, like bottle them up. In the, and that's what we saw in the uh, third period. We, every single line. The dry soda line, I thought, struggled throughout the game uh, more than the other lines. But every single line came up with a solid checking effort in the third period. And how how many times have we seen that in the last, you know, the decade of darkness plus? We just haven't seen it. We've seen it somewhat this yeah. year now and then. Mm-hmm. And we saw it we saw it again tonight. Yeah, well, dry uh, gave him a one-goal lead at the 46-second mark of the third period. So they had to make that lead stand up for basically the entire period. And they did They did all that. They held it to the end. And it was the Oilers that had the flow of play uh, that outshot Vancouver in the third by a good margin, 12 to 8. I think you had scoring chances at 4 to 0 for Edmonton. And it was uh, the Oilers were, uh, you know, just strictly the better team down the stretch. I'm not sure they had been through much of the first two periods, but they hung around and then they took the game over. Yeah, and credit, speaking of the defenseman, on the first goal, Ethan Bear uh, set off the virtuous cycle by pinching down hard on the boards. And Darnell Nurse just made a really fine pass, kind of unlike Darnell Nurse-like. Well, I keep reading that he can't pass the puck, and I'm looking at that goal, and I'm saying, well, I think that was a pass, and it was a shooting, <laughs> it was a shooting pass, and it was a beauty play. And even Josh Archibald couldn't miss. I mean, how good of a pass is that? <laughs> I shouldn't do that, but... You know what I mean? It was, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's okay, man. It's okay. Josh Archibald would even chuckle at that, I'm sure. Oh, that, yeah. That's what everyone's saying on the plane right now. Uh, so, <laughs> Bruce, my good thing, James Neal. That uh-huh. was one of his best games of the year. Like, he really stepped up to play well with Connor McDavid. They, they combined well throughout the game. I mean, Neal isn't fast, but he's very smart. And when he gets his mind to work hard, and he and he usually does get his mind to work hard. He's a very hardworking player. Uh, he has been this year at least, um, and take the body. He, he can make some good plays. He got off a number of really strong grade B scoring chances. I didn't don't think he had any grade A ones, but he made possibly the play of the game 
um, that oh. feed in the slot to Drysidle on the power play in the third. That was a that was a that was the kind of and not I shouldn't do this, but it was the kind of pass Milan Lucic never made, Bruce, not once in his entire time with the Edmonton Oilers. But James Neal has made great passes, probably five, six, seven times already with the Oilers in his short time here because he's calm with the puck. And he's got good hands still, and he just he threaded that over to Drysaddle, who pumped it in the net. So James Neal, more than twenty minutes of play as well. So uh, wow. good for him. Yeah, that's got. I bet you that's a first this year. And yeah, I think so too. Um, heck of a game. He he really stepped up to play with McDavid. I mean, Tippett shuffled the box here. He, he changed everything up partly because he had to. Broke up McDavid and Drysaddle for one of the first times this year, mm-hmm. and. Uh, McDavid just Drysdale didn't really bring his A game. Actually, he he was, uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit. He he certainly did in the shooting category, but the rest of his game was off. Um, I thought, but McDavid was fantastic, and so was James Neal. What is your other good thing? Uh, well, my other good thing is going to be the uh, uh, the work of the uh, of the bottom six, and particularly I enjoyed the forechecking pressure of the Gaetan Haas. Uh, Patrick Russell, Marcus Grandin lined. That had several long shifts where the puck was in Vancouver's territory the, the, the whole game. Uh, they did score one uh, one goal on a very hard-working play that I thought was stolen. Patrick Russell's first career goal, finally. And don't you think that was the right call? I don't. I, don't I, I did, Bruce. Call. Okay, why not? Uh, What's your argument that it was the wrong call? Because uh, the, the call was on apparently on Haas bumping into uh, the goalie two or three seconds before, and the refs told Tippett that uh, the goalie didn't have a chance to get set for the shot after that when he, you know, the, the puck came out, it got passed around, and he did push off, and he was, you know, he just got beat across the net. And, you know, I mean, part of my problem is I have a long memory. And I remember one in Los Angeles when Lucic was a king. So that'll put it in 2016. When Lucic skated through the crease and slew-footed Laurent Brossois from behind. Brossois went down hard. He was on his side. The puck went off to that side of the ice. And Brossois was lying down trying to get his glove up on the, on the puck. And the, guy, the right winger had all day to pick it up and shoot it over him. And the referee said... Francois had time to get back to his feet and get set. And, of course, you know, in the moment that he leaves his, his prone position to start to get up, the guy's just going to shoot it into the net. Like, a goalie can't do that. And you see that. I mean, he got slew-footed, and that was fine. And this little tap on what was basically, two, you know, guys barging around in front of the net playing hockey. Do you think that goal would ever have been disallowed if it had been scored against Edmonton? Do you think Anaheim scored that against Edmonton? It would have been disallowed? Not Bruce, a you, freaking chance. You know, one question the referees did not ask themselves on that play? Mm-hmm. What would Gaetan think? <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, he's, I mean, all's well that ends well, but I feel so sorry for Patrick Russell. Oh, he yeah. Played a great game. Man, he must have won 40 puck battles in that game, Patrick Russell. He's oh, geez, all I feel over, bad. All I around only gave the him a puck. six. All around the puck. He was everywhere. I thought Granlin and Haas. I thought actually Haas was mm-hmm. the best of the three. I, I, maybe I'm kind of partial to him, but I, Bruce, I think they have a third line center. I think, mm-hmm. I think they maybe. do. Um, he, a, he can, he can skate and make plays like he's, you know, you, of course you'd like to see a little bit more production, but you know, they just took a point away there. Nonetheless, uh, yeah. I just, I like his skill. I like his speed and I think he's a smart defensive player. 
So, you know, his, his results haven't been great. I, but I, I see that some, there's someone there who in the next few months can, if they give him more playing time. Like, I don't think Riley Sheehan's a third-line center. I don't think he's ever going to be. Like, we, he's been in the NHL forever. He doesn't have the speed. Uh, but Haas, he's got a chance. He does have the speed. Uh, he's got some gumption. I, 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 he actually showed a little bit of greasiness in the scrum and stuff tonight. And I think, bring it on. You know, I mean, you're a bottom six player. You're not going to be, be pretty 100% of the time. You got to, you know, you got to have some uh, dimension to your game. And, you know, to me, his issue is not his speed or his thinking of the game. It's just sometimes he needs to be a little harder on the puck. Yeah. And, and uh, uh I think you know, he's pretty on light. Hang on to his damn stick. That's a bit, another big Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a little bit but, light, I think, eh? Like, he's not uh-huh. the biggest guy. He's not stocky or big. He's a smaller right. player. No, he, he requires on, you know, the darting style of play. And it, it's, it's effective when he plays well. And I'd like to think that there's an adjustment period after which he's going to start playing well more frequently. We certainly saw his, his uh, uh, top end of his game tonight. I would have to agree with you. I like them. All right. Uh, my other good thing, Bruce, is the probably the maybe the deadliest, but possibly the deadliest uh, play in the NHL is the Oilers setting up Leon Dreisaitl cross seam on a one timer pass. Uh, there's there may be there may be better weapons in the NHL right now, but you know we're tracking one timer shots that get on net. So so far this year, Dreisaitl has had 31 uh, one timer shots on net most of them from that spot and he has scored 11 goals on those 31 shots he's 35 percent. so that's like uh that's like a triple a scoring chance shot yeah. I, i'm i'm saying and 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 if if anyone wonders well if anyone tries a little shooting percentage is unsustainable i would point to that okay are, are you actually me- are you actually watching the games and and yeah. looking at the shot quality trying to measure it try to figure this out because if you do that this this particular hammer is uh it's a trump card they just you just throw it down trump we got the hand well he's got so many things in his favor uh he's got that that cudgel of a stick that's got that big almost goalie paddle surface area on it so any puck in his neighborhood he's he's generally gets good wood on it uh but he has a a a instant one-time release with heavy uh you know, real heavy, accurate, a quick release shot from good position coming typically off of a good pass, often from McDavid. I mean, that's a lot of chips in your favor for why that shot's got a little better than average chance to find the back of the net. And Leon, uh, you may remember this year I went down to the open practice at the beginning of training camp and Leon was down in my end practicing one-timers. I swear, David, he took three or four hundred one-timers in the last 20 or so minutes of that practice, right in front of me. And his guy was feeding pucks over him, in front of him, behind him, in his feet, hard, slow. And Leon would react to it and whack it on the net. And he almost never missed the net. Do you and know how work, tired you Work, work, work. Yeah, yeah, I know. How tired your would your arms be? Would be? Okay, if the average person did that, <laughs> after five shots, they would be spent, okay? Like the average uh-huh. non-athlete. But even an athlete, like someone who's yeah. in pretty good shape, you give them 50 shots, 50 to 100 mm-hmm. shots, like they're they are done. Like that is an amazing. If 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 you're not exaggerating here, Bruce, and I'm not accusing. I'm you. not. 
But if hundreds of shots, David, he I mean, took that many shots. Maybe it was only 200, but it wasn't like 10. It was like over and over, like he was down there for many minutes doing nothing else but one timers. Wow. Yeah. It, it, was, uh, it was a joy to watch and just, just see how hard he was working at it and that, you know, that skill. And that's, that's the kind of, you know, the 10,000 hours that uh, many of these guys put in that when tonight, when Leon Dreisaitl had two chances, not 200, two chances like that, both of them were rockets from the back of the net. Done. Set me and up there, bam, done deal. He got one of them. He was outside <laughs> the dots. He was like three feet, two feet outside the mm-hmm. uh, faceoff that dot. One, um, one that got saved, eh? No, no, the one he scored oh, that, on. The first oh, right, right, on. yeah, yeah, okay. And that's not unusual. He, he will often, and I remember having a debate with someone. I can't remember. It might have been Jonathan Willis, but I can't remember for sure. And we were trying to, like, because we have fairly strict definitions for what is a grade-A chance and what isn't. And, and, and one of us, and it might have, one of us was arguing, I, I, that dry slidal shot from that spot has to be considered a grade-A shot, even though it's outside of the home plate area. It's not between the dots. It's not right in the center of the ice, but you have to consider that a grade-A shot. And, of course, we do now. Moving? Yeah, the goal I mean, moving. he's got more net. He's looking at more net when the puck is leaving his stick. Uh, then many people are if they're right directly in front, but with the goalie in position, they're looking at little holes in the corners, right? I mean, Leon's looking at the whole height of the net and a foot or two, even from a bad angle, and bang! I mean, the goalie—if the goalie has no chance to get over there—that's that's more than a grade A. That's a grade A plus or double well, A or like triple A, triple A, thirty. Evanston 30. Trappers quality uh, scoring chance. Thirty-five percent solution. All oh. right, what is your bad thing? Well, now that I've ranted about that eight years old Milan Lucic foul on Brassois, I'm going to go with the the terribly unlucky Matthew Benning. Five games on the shelf with a concussion after getting clubbed by Evander Kane in a foul that apparently went unnoticed by both NHL referees and Department of Player Safety, and I'm still upset about that. Uh, anyway, he missed five games, came back tonight to fill in for Chris Russell. When you know he gets gonged by a slap shot from the five points, somebody tips it and hits him right in the head. First game back from concussion. And he missed a bunch of time. And then he came back and he played for a bit, and then he went off and he stayed off. So I'm also questioning a little bit why was he allowed to return to the game well, if he if his ears are ringing. You know? He got hit on the ankle, I think. Uh, he yeah, bought another shot. Yes, he and, did. And uh, but but he really blew a a check. Like there was a really good. I think that was J T. Miller who got a breakaway because Benning uh-huh. came in and kind of came right right through. Just him, yeah. missed him. Yeah, it was kind of a weird play. Then they pointed that out on the broadcast. So who, maybe he wasn't feeling. But quite, anyway, Tippett said right. it was the head and not the foot that was the reason he didn't. Oh uh, well, maybe oh. I don't know. I don't know what the, they they do have a protocol. Hopefully they're sticking to it and. There's a lot. There's a lot of the line for anyone who's playing hockey. If he's had two concussions in two weeks with a previous concussion history. This is bad news and, and uh, very unfortunate. <sighs> Standing around and he got hit by a rocket of a shot right in the beam. It's terrible news. That's really really tough for a player, and I and uh, that's the you just hate to see that happen. And Matt Benning is such a hardworking player who was before he got hurt playing the best hockey of his NHL career. I think it's fair to say. Uh, my bad thing, we've praised Leon Dreisaitl, and now we are going to, I'm going to not praise him. Bruce, his play on the uh, second Vancouver goal. So, 
you can't have that. It's a point shot. Uh, there's there's some traffic in front of the net. There's a rebound. There's two at that point. There's two Oilers in front of the net, and there's two Canucks. Oscar Clefbaum has his man, but because Drysaddle has been puck watching and wandering and not not thinking about what his job really is, which is to help cover people in front of the net. He's off to the side in the red light zone, which is not covering anyone, not blocking a pass, not blocking a shot. That's the red light zone in the slot. He was there. The puck goes to his man or to the one open Canuck, and it's a goal. And the only thing I would say is Dreisaitl and McDavid, of course, have been switching off and on on center, and they there's still... There's that unfamiliarity almost, I think, when they're asked to play center full-time. I, th- I think it's still a bit of an issue. I think both of them, defensively, there's no doubt, defensively they would be better off just centering their own lines. Offensively, it's hard to argue with what's happening because they're just such a dynamic combination. So I d- I'm not saying a lot about it, although I've kvetched about it in the past. I'm not going to complain about it now because this line has been working, but it, there are some defensive um problems that that emanate from them playing a part and them not being completely familiar with their defensive role. And you see it in both of the players, although McDavid tonight, he was really on defensively. He came back hard on a couple mm-hmm. of back checks and broke up plays, but it wasn't dry settles night on defense. No, so did Leon on some, and it's that big paddle of his, uh, uh, won some battles in the defensive zone. I remember him making a great tip of a dangerous pass that was going right through the slot and he, he swung around on the backhand and picked that one out. I'm not sure if it was out of the air, but it was certainly one you wouldn't expect him to get. Uh, so he does make hero plays, but he does. Uh, he does have he does have lapses. There's no doubt about it. He, in the third period, he was as solid, and you oh, know yeah. when the game was on the line, they had him out there. He, listen, he, he can be a great defensive player. He often is. People were talking about the Selkie Trophy for Leon Settle. I, I, like I honestly never understood I think that. It's person. premature. But but he can be a great defensive player. He just I think he needs to play one position on defense and not too often at the same time because I think it's a bit confusing even for as talented a player as he is. Bruce, what is your number? I'm going to go with the subtle number tonight. Uh, I already gave you a bunch of time on ice stats and stuff, but uh, 47. Uh, and that was the total number of face-offs in the entire game, meaning there was only 44 whistles. Uh, all night long. The game started with one continuous sequence that lasted for eight minutes and uh, twenty eight minutes and thirty seven seconds. I think it was eleven twenty three where the first whistle. The entire game, went. and it just speaks to. Sometimes that's a stat that shows you the pace of the game. That, you know, they're not, they're not goalies aren't freezing pucks. They're not going offside and icing it all night. They're just going back and forth. And this was a hard, fast skating game. Very enjoyable game to watch. And. Uh, Part of that was the puck was in play and it stayed in play. Yeah, that was a fast game. I, I liked it. Okay, my my uh, number is zero, which is the number of grade A scoring chances that the Vancouver Canucks had on in the third period. And you're going to review the game. Maybe you'll see something I missed. So maybe maybe there was one I missed, but I didn't see any. And I br- made one grab of a low shot through traffic that was tough, but it was from a long ways Bess, out. So I that was Besser. was really in our grade A zone. No, it, I think he had a, I think he had a clear sight of it the whole way. Right. So that's what I'm looking for on a really, on a hard outside shot. There's got to be some traffic or goalies have got to make that save. It's a grade B scoring chance, but it's just yeah, not a great A chance. Say. So Did like, you like, like him going into the corner with the puck and playing it with like 20 seconds left and uh, six attackers. <laughs> I like everything about the big man. I'm okay with him. Like he is just, he, br- br- we haven't mentioned him until now. 
Um, and and it's when he didn't have a lot to do in the third period, but he was he was the reason the Oilers won this game in, in a big way. Like it's the same formula that we've seen so much this year: Koskin and Drysaddle, McDavid, and and you know everyone else doing enough. Um, Clef Baumheim also had a really great game, but he, so but he, to get back to my point, they were checking every single line was playing not only hard working hockey but smart. Hockey, it is, and that's what's so interesting. I'll, I'll use that word too about this Oilers team, Bruce. Is the smart hockey? We saw some smart hockey, I think, under McClellan in 2016-17. Certainly, Clefbaum and Russell, excuse me, Clefbaum and Sekera, um, Russell Larson, those four defensemen in, in that period played smart hockey together. This this time, though, we saw it line after line after line, keeping the Canucks to the outside. No grade A chances, bottling them up in the neutral zone. Vancouver was not threatening. They didn't threaten in the third period. Mm-hmm. And that was because of smart hockey. Not just hardworking hockey, but smart hockey. How not, how great is that? Edmonton winning races to pucks. Two or three good short pa- passes in their own zones to guys that were actually skating. And then any kind of uh, forechecking pressure, just dump it out with the old alley flip scoop pass um and they kept it they kept it pretty simple and uh those minutes just kept ticking on down didn't they yeah it was fantastic because (laughs) they really needed to win that game because if they had lost uh well it's such a long season if they lost it would just be another loss but but again it would have been another loss that kind of would have taken the edge off of the fast start that they had right they've been treading water they need to keep treading water and then the next streak that they have needs to be a winning streak it almost doesn't matter when it is they just can't afford to have a long losing streak yeah it's interesting bruce when you look at the prognosticators who are looking in their crystal balls into the future which nobody can really can really do but but we all love to do reading the Um, horoscopes yeah yeah like the power (laughs) rankings and then there's some who project into the future to predict the playoffs so the the people who who are doing the power rankings that actually look at the teams right now tend to, to rate the oilers where they are in the standings which is like between fifth and sixth overall or something like that in the in the nhl standings but people like so there's a dom lecician i think is is how you pronounce yeah. it i could be incorrect yeah. dom lecician of the mm-hmm. athletic and i really like his work i think it's really super solid and i put a lot of store and you know in as much as anyone can predict something he's got a method and a system and he's trying to follow through on it and i think it's a it's actually fairly rat it's 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 a, as rational as you can get when you're trying to predict right. the future. Mm-hmm. So he's 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 got the orders as you know kind of a coin flipped, little little bit better than average to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And and I and I haven't been able to blame him. Like I'm not, I don't think he's some kind of Euler hater out to get Edmonton right. saying that. I just think oh. it's a very reasonable thing based on the way this team's collapsed in the past and and just how much they have invested in a handful of players. So though you combine those two things and this has been an, it's, it, it remains an iffy proposition and uh, games tonight remind us of that. Cause we're all on the edge of our seats wondering, are, are they for real or are they not for real? Are they, you know, is this fake news or is this the real deal? Yeah. Well, often those models uh, are heavily emphasizing five V five play. Yeah. And at five V five, the orders are an average team. In fact, they're minus three on the season goals for and against and where there are advantages and where you can't really say they're going to keep outscoring to this degree on special teams, but that's where they've been doing it. And you know, that's what they did tonight. 
Uh, they had two penalties to kill. They killed them both. They had two power plays, and they scored both times, right? The special teams were four for four. One of them in the game. Again. I really, I really liked McDavid, actually. on the. Uh, I was the one advocating to change the power play, of course, and fortunately they didn't listen to me. I remember that. And, uh, 40 uh, or 50 posts. McDavid, uh, <laughs> McDavid did very, very well on that um, uh, left half wall. He was very dangerous. He was really confident with the puck tonight. He just had it going on. And um, every time he had it, he was he made himself dangerous. They had to pay attention to him. And that freed up drive settle on the other side. Now, I, I do think I continue, I do think that Chase on and Neil are kind of overdoing it on the more heavy hockey side in the middle of the ice. But um, I don't normally have both of them, but with Nuge out, their, Nuge uh, out. their options are different. But this power play, Bruce... I don't see why it can't be the best power play in the NHL this year. There's should be tough. Well, near the and I don't know if they're going to keep scoring at more than 30% rate, but they, oh. they could easily be, you have a hammer like Leon Dreisaitl. Um, you've got they Connor. They usually do 25% for a whole year, I think. Nuge, Neil. I mean, Washington, didn't Washington do like 28% last year? If I'm something like that, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they have a Vetchkin in the same, in the Dreisaitl yeah. role. So if you have the right personnel, and I think the Oilers definitely have it, and they've even got some players who can fill in, right? Chason's not bad, and certainly Ethan Bear, if Clefbaum went down, Ethan Bear could step right in without a doubt. I mean, that would have been an interesting thing to put Ethan Bear out on the top unit tonight and instead of Chase on. And uh, But it, it certainly worked, so I, I'm going to yeah, show Yeah, we can't really complain about the results, <laughs> two out of two. And what you about know? their PK boost, Bruce? Yeah. Back, can you? Well, I'm convinced the PK is actually improved. It's not just the goal, the goalie on a huge heater like Cam Talbot was for the first two months. It's 2016-17. I think they got different players, and I think they identified some problem guys that weren't good on the penalty kill, and they don't have them killing penalties anymore. And I'm talking specifically to Zach Cassian and Alex Jason. Uh, but a few other guys, they moved out of town. And yeah. You know, and a few guys they brought into town that they specifically said we want to improve the penalty kill, and those guys have been getting the job done on that unit. So, and as for the power play, your point about McDavid changing, well, what I'm seeing with McDavid in the offensive zone on the power play, which stands out, is how he's moving his feet, he's using his speed. And oftentimes you see a power play, not a whole lot of motion, guys being set in position or switching off, you know, but nobody sort of gaining ahead of speed. And McDavid's all over the place. And one second he might be in the corner making a 10-foot pass to dry saddle, and the next second he might be across the ice making a 70-foot pass to dry saddle. And the other team doesn't quite know how to contain him, and just when they figure out where he is, they forget about where dry saddle is, and then boom. That... that First power play goal where Leon, well, first of all, Neil and and Chason both won battle in the corner. And then Leon pulled the puck out from his backhand. He found McDavid in the slot. McDavid held and he did this little feint and he, he sipped his pass right through the guy's feet, right back onto Leon's stick and in the net. The net was bulging and it seemed like Connor had just passed it. And just, just a work of art. And... Uh, that time, he, McDavid was right in the center of the ice. The other power play goal, he was down in the left wing corner, and he's really racking up points on the on the, uh, special team. Uh, McDavid is. He's never and been think, a big. I think they've sprung him. They they've said, yeah, improvise out there a little bit. Don't just you know, let's not just just uh, fix guys to certain uh, 
areas or zones that they're supposed to command. Give, give, let Connor, let Connor skate. I mean, that's that seems like a good decision to me. Yeah, that's always been, I think, the best idea with him is just to go here, there, and everywhere, and have players who can read off you, and and it seems to be working. Clefbaum's doing a good job as well, you know, setting up the play, and you know, they're they're just able to gain the zone so easily because McDavid. They have to respect McDavid's speed. They have to back off. And, the, and then Dreisaitl can also gain the zone, and Nuge can also gain the zone. And, and um, so there's a, lot, there's a lot to think that the Oilers' power play can be in the top five, probably maybe the best power play this year. And yeah. um, why not? I mean, Leon Dreisaitl's always been absolutely fantastic at the um, half. Yeah, he, he finally got, like, he's only up to Third three power game. play goals of the year now. After yeah. Two tonight. And you know, most years he's good for double figures, so he was due to break out, and it's nice to break out with the tying and winning goals in Vancouver, I have to say. So, <laughs> well done, Leon. Yeah, we hate the Canucks. Well, there's, there's history there. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All geographic, right. geographic rivals. I actually like their current team more than I've liked the oh, Canucks team yeah. in a long this time. This is a very good They're hockey fast team. fast and today. skilled and fun to watch. So Yeah, nice Peterson and Hughes and... Brock Besser, this is a very, very good hockey team. Much better than the Calgary Flames. <laughs> All right. Much more likable than the Calgary Flames. <laughs> I will say that. Let's leave it there, Bruce. All right. Wednesday night, Ottawa. See thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>